Well, good morning, Tower View. Good morning, all that are there and watching. And um, glad you were here this morning. I am looking at my computer statistics and it's going bonkers at the moment. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, Facebook has been giving me issues this morning too. So I don't know what's going to happen. So pray that this feed will uh, continue on and that we won't have any more problems this morning. I see we have some people on. Facebook is showing me numbers this morning, which it doesn't always do. Um, and But now I can't scroll there. Jeez. Um, Facebook is a, in my computer this morning. I don't know which one to which. It is just giving me fits this morning. So I'm praying that everything is working fine and uh, we are going to be, and we are working hunky-dory um, until I get indications otherwise. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And I see a couple comments are starting to come in. Um, sometimes they're a little bit delayed, so I don't see them right when they pop, right when you hit enter. But uh, give you a quick update. I'm well. What, who am I? I'm, I'm Pastor Nelson, associate pastor of Tower View Baptist Church, and this is your morning Sunday morning Sunday school lesson for January seventeenth. You can check us out if you've never heard of us at TowerViewKC.com. And find out more about our church. We are in Kansas City, Missouri, on uh, Northeast 50th Street at the intersection of Northeast 50th and Randolph Road, 7301 Northeast 50th Street. And if you're from Kansas City, if you know where the World's of Fun Water Tower is, you found our church. We're right there in front of it. Um, today's lesson, I am not following the book exactly this morning. So... If you look in the table of contents of your book, you will see that um, today's lesson for January 17th, session seven, lesson seven, is on Luke 6, out of Luke 6, 27. And then next week's is out of Luke 4. And then I went down looking through there, and I now I know why... They did this. So Luke 6, 27 is about loving your enemies. This is a sanct Southern Baptist called the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It is also the day before Martin Luther King Jr. And so that's why they chose that specific lesson, and they went out of order of the Scripture to pull that lesson up for this Sunday. And I understand that perfectly. That's a perfect example we are to love those who are unlovely sometimes. Sometimes they're unlovely because they do things we don't like. They're an abortion doctor. Okay? We don't like that idea. Sometimes we deem people unlovely just by this, what they look like. Because the race they are, whether it's black or white or Asian or Hispanic, and we seem to think that because they look that way, there's something wrong with them. And we call them names. And that's wrong, too. Right? You know, God called all of us. Jesus wasn't white. And he wasn't from America. And so all that stuff is wrong. But I'm not going to make a whole Sunday school lesson about it. And so there's nothing wrong with that lesson. But 
to me, as a Bible study person, I want to go, we're going through the book of Luke in order. So I'm going to continue to go through the book of Luke in order. So I am going to skip lesson seven for now, and I'm going to go to lesson eight. Lesson seven will be picked up um, after uh, lesson 11, so after the February 14th one. So I'm going to push it all the way down. And so lesson seven will become the new lesson 11 and, and, and lessons uh, eight through 11 all get moved up one. Okay. So I'm going to continue them in order of the scripture because that's, that's the kind of person I am. All right. I hope this doesn't throw you for a too big a loop. I, I pray that everything will be fine in your life. This, this major um catastrophe if i hope it's not a major catastrophe um and i pray that this is streaming okay the web page is slowing down your browser oh this is okay um all right shirley harris i see your comment thank you don and shirley for being there um so anyways, I pray, I pray that doesn't, doesn't mess you up too badly. If you study the lesson ahead of time, your lesson, your studying is not in vain. We will get to that, just not this week. And so if you're used to studying ahead and now we, uh, I, I threw you for a loop, I, I pray you forgive me. All right, let's get, have a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all your blessings that you give us. You are the mighty God. We are your servants. Help us as we study your words. That it'll change our hearts. It'll change our minds. It'll change how we view others. It'll change how we view about you. If it doesn't change it, Lord, I, I pray that it reaffirms it. It strengthens it. We just pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So... Last week, we were in Luke chapter 3, and we examined the ministry of John the Baptist and the very beginning of the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. In Luke uh, 3.23, excuse me, we get that Jesus was about 30 years old, and then we get a genealogy of Jesus. At the beginning of uh, Luke chapter 4, now, the lesson, the lesson starts in verse 16. So I'm just going to summarize the first part. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, we have Jesus, to begin his ministry, decides to have a time of fasting, 40 days. And he goes out of town, out into the wilderness to do this. And while he was out in the wilderness for, for those 40 days of fasting, Satan comes and tempts him with some very unique temptations but they're not really all that unique. The, the desire for glory, personal glory and for power and selfish ambition, things that Satan tempts us with also. And Satan uses scripture. Jesus also used scripture. And so scripture is paramount in fighting temptation. 
because we can take somebody else or ourselves can take scripture out of context and use them in, in, in less than holy ways. And in verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the, in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. So after his time of fasting in the wilderness, it doesn't say specifically where, but it just, he was out of town. He was out far away. And he was alone, just with him and God. And then he went back and he went to Galilee, which is in all the area around the Sea of Galilee, the northern part of Israel. And he went to the synagogues every um, Sabbath day. Depending on how the Jews did it in those days, whether it would be what we consider Friday night or was it on Saturday morning. So to the Jewish calendar, a new day begins at sunset. So today is Sunday, that I'm, that the day I'm recording this live. And tonight at sunset, it ceases to, according to the Jewish calendar, it ceases to be Sunday and it becomes Monday. So on Fridays, as soon as sunset hits on Friday night, it becomes Saturday. It becomes the, the Sabbath day begins. And many modern Jews, they go to the synagogue on Friday, what we consider Friday night. Um, but necessarily all of them. It just depends on the time and place of, of where they're at. Needless to say, Jesus made it a habit to go to the synagogue. And he was going around Galilee, and it says that he was praised by everyone. Well, why not? He's teaching God's word. He's healing people. Why wouldn't they praise him? And then in verse 16, we get to the lesson. And he comes to another town in Galilee. And so let me begin reading in verse 16. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. And so Jesus has been going around to all these different towns in Galilee, and finally he went to the town of Nazareth. What's so special about Nazareth? That's his hometown. That's where he grew up. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And then we know from the book of Matthew, they fled Bethlehem and went to Egypt for a time. Probably less than a year. It wasn't probably a very long time. Because King Herod died pretty quickly after that. Herod the Great. And then they returned from Egypt and they settled in Nazareth. And that's where Jesus grew up. Uh, when he was 12, when we read about Jesus being 12, they traveled from Nazareth to Jerusalem and back to Nazareth. And so he grew up there with his brothers, possibly sisters. It's, they're not mentioned, but that doesn't mean he didn't have any. Other family members would have been in that area. 
And so, and it's a small town. So, small towns, everybody knows everybody, whether you like it or not. And so here, Jesus comes back. So they, the people in his hometown, had been hearing about Jesus. He had been going around to all the other towns in Galilee. He's been teaching in the synagogues. He's been healing people. And now, finally, Jesus comes home to Nazareth. And so everybody is honored. Jesus is going to come. And he's going to teach us like he's, and, and do things like he's been doing with everybody else around um, Galilee. And they finally have the chance to listen also. And so he goes to the synagogue and they ask him to teach. And so he does. And it says they handed him a scroll and he stood up to read. In Jesus' time, the teachers, as they taught, sat down. But while he was reading scripture, he stood up. And it says they handed him the scroll of Isaiah. Now, one thing we don't know is did they hand that to him because that was the planned reading for the day? Or did they hand that to him because that's the scroll he asked for? We don't know. It doesn't say. But we do know it was on a scroll. It wasn't in a book like we have called a codex is, 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 the, is the term. And so to find something on a scroll, it's all th think about the entire book of Isaiah on one page. Without chapter numbers. This was before chapter numbers. And the scripture that Jesus read is from Isaiah 61. So that's near, Isaiah has 66 chapters. So that's near the end of the scroll of Isaiah. And so that would have taken some time to sit there and scroll through everything to find where he was looking for. He knew it was towards the end, so he would, he would have started going that way. Um, but, every, but people would have been used to that, because if any, any scroll that they had were fairly long. They didn't have short scrolls. You think of the short books that we call the Minor Prophets. You think, well, what those have been short scrolls? Well, yes and no. They probably put all the Minor Prophets on one scroll. That's why they're all together. So he went and he found Isaiah 61. And he probably read more than was listed in, in Scripture. Um, Luke probably gave us the edited version. So I'm going to read Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, straight from the Old Testament. Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberties to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's fervor and the day of our Lord's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, splendid clothes instead of despair, and they will be called righteous trees planted in the Lord to, to glorify him. And so, um, when Luke wrote, he left out a he left out a line about the day of our Lord's vengeance, and he didn't put in anything from verse three. I think a lot of times in Scripture, when they point to something, 
they read the first part of it and they put that in there to let us know where it is. And then we have to go back and, and, and find it and read the entire passage. And so here's Jesus. He goes to the synagogue as usual. So it's his habit to go to the synagogue wherever he is. Is it your habit to attend church wherever you are? Whether you're, you're home or on vacation, visiting family, do you go? And even if nobody else in the family goes, is it your habit to go? Do you find some place to go when you're on vacation? Is that part of your vacation plan is to attend church someplace and worship with brothers and sisters in Christ? And so as we read, as we went through this scripture, and as he reads Isaiah, remember we read Isaiah, and we know the me is not me personally. We know it wasn't, in that case, wasn't Isaiah either, because Isaiah didn't fit the bill. Now Jesus is reading this, and it says, it says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And Jesus is telling them, me, I am me. I am this who the scripture is about. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. And they're going, you? But we knew you when you were little Jesus. When you were running around and falling down and scraping your knees. We, we've known you when you were in school, learning how to read and write. We knew you, you know, as you know, a little kid who got sick sometimes. We knew, we knew, we know who this Jesus is. We knew him when he was standing up against bullies, because he probably did. He wasn't the bully. He stood up against bullies. They, they, they knew him. He was little. They know his parents. They know the circumstances of his birth when Mary got pregnant out of wedlock. He, they knew all that. How could this be about him? And that's his, their, their thing. It says God has anointed him. It says he anointed me. That's God has anointed Jesus. And that's what Messiah means. Messiah means the anointed one. That's a Hebrew word. In the, in the Greek, the anointed one, we translate as, Chris, as Christ. Anointed is in English. And so that play on words is there. The anointed one, the Messiah. Only two people got anointed in the Old Testament. Well, actually, in the Old Testament, only one person got anointed, the king. A new king was anointed. The only other anointed one was the Messiah, who was the king of kings. And so Jesus said, God has sent me. He's anointed me to proclaim. Notice how many times that word's used in here, proclaim. You need to proclaim or to preach the good news to the poor. Proclaim, proclaim release to the captives. Remember, a lot of times people were captive because an enemy nation came and captured them and made them slaves. Or you were captive because you couldn't pay your bills and you were in debtor's prison. Generally speaking, in that time, if you were a criminal and they caught you, after your punishment was either being flogged or being executed, possibly exiled. The punishment was not send you to jail for X number of years. That's an American thing. Um, that came apart, 
came about in the 19th century in America. In this time frame, they didn't do that. If you were in jail for any length of time, it was just you were just waiting your trial. You said, a recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as we read in, in 61, to, to provide vengeance, righteousness. All of this, this is what Jesus came to do. And then he read it. He rolled the scroll back up. He gave it back to the attendant because they, they put all the scrolls in a box in the, in the, in the, in the front. What we, you know, we think of on the stage, it'd be up in the front, kind of where our baptistry is at Tower View. It'd be kind of in that location where they have a box that had all the scrolls from the, all the Bible. Most people didn't have their own copy because it was super expensive to have a copy because it had to be handwritten and paper was expensive and ink was expensive. And um, to have somebody of quality to write it out was expensive to hire. How many man hours would that be to handwrite in what we consider the entire Old Testament? And it says, after he handed it back, everybody's eyes were fixed on him. Going, Why is he reading that scripture? And he said, today, as you listen, this scripture is being fulfilled. As you listen. If you were sitting there that day, and you saw Jesus, and you heard Jesus read those scriptures, this little boy who grew up in your town, in your synagogue, would you believe him? I mean, think about one of the kids that grew up. You think about the kids that grew up in our church over the years. If one of them got up and said, I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, and started preaching and said, this is me. Would you believe them? And even if they did miracles in other towns, would you believe them? Jesus, you know, is the good boy. Now he's claiming something much more than just being a good kid. Verse 22, they were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? How could Joseph's son be the anointed one of Israel, the Messiah of Israel? Because we know who Joseph is. He's just a carpenter. And in fact, by this time, Joseph may have died. We don't know that for sure, but he's never mentioned um, when after Jesus' ministry began. And as you, if you go back to Luke chapter 3, as it begins the genealogy, it says, Jesus, this, as it was thought, the son of Joseph. Because we know Joseph was not his biological father. It was just his adopted father on earth. People, even if they, even if Mary and Joseph told them everything about the angels, would they have believed them? More than likely not. And so they're going, well, Jesus, you know, they'd always talked good about Jesus because he never did anything wrong. He, he was a perfect child as far as children go. Like I said, he stood up against the bullies. He obeyed his parents. He obeyed his teachers. He didn't vandalize things and break things like other kids did. 
But now he is claiming that he is the anointed one from God. That doesn't sound so good now. Sounds pretty bold, pretty brash. And so we don't get Jesus' entire sermon here. We get that one line. We don't know what else Jesus said in, in relation to that. But in verse 23, they said to, then he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Doctor, heal yourself. What we have heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. So a proverb, you know, doctor, heal yourself, that's, that's not a proverb from the book of Proverbs from Scripture. That's just a, a worldly proverb, you know, kind of like, you know, doctors are the worst patients. That, that's a, a form of a proverb. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. That's a proverb. Whether it's accurate or not is immaterial. It's still a proverb. And so he knew people's hearts. And the people wanted to not come and hear Jesus preach, per se. They wanted to see the miracles that he was doing in other places, in other synagogues. And so Capernaum was a neighboring town. So he, they wanted to see the miracles that he did in those places. But this is how he responds to them in verse 24. So we're in Luke chapter 4, verse 24. He also said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were, certain, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, while a great famine came over the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the same and in the same prophets Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Um, and so Jesus gives two examples here of somebody, uh, of prophets of the Old Testament who provided miracles, but they didn't do it to the Jewish nation, to the Hebrews. Elijah, two, the first two great prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah left, literally left Israel for a time and went to Sidon, which is up on the, in modern-day uh, Lebanon, and, and went to that town for a time and lived with a widow. And, and, and provided the miracle of food for her because the day he met her, she was running out of food. But while he was there, her food never ran out. And at one point in time, he, her son died, and he raised the son from the dead. In the same way, Elisha healed Naaman. Naaman was a military officer from the enemy country of Syria. Israel and Syria fought wars against each other. And yet Elisha healed Naaman, a supposed enemy. And so the implication is that Jesus is doing miracles, but he's not going to do them in Nazareth. And they understood that. 
How do I know they understood that? Because verse 28, when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. That's how I knew they understood it. They were upset. They knew Jesus wasn't going to do any miracles there because that, you know, God chose not to because of their unbelief. The implication was they didn't believe well enough because they understood in the scriptures Elijah left because Israel wasn't following Yahweh. They were following other gods, the gods of Ahab put out, of Baal, because that was at the time of Ahab and Jezebel. And then most of Israel was not following God. So they understood the implications. And they didn't like it. Who is this little Jesus, this little boy that grew up here to tell us that we, he can't do, God can't do miracles here because we don't have enough faith? Who are you, Jesus, to tell us we don't have enough faith? We know who your parents are. Verse 28, verse 29, they got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of a hill that, was, that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. They understood the implications, and they didn't like it. They, like, they didn't like being told that they didn't have enough faith for God to do any miracles in their town. If you read anything about Nazareth and you say, well, modern-day scholars say there's no cliff in Nazareth, you know, there probably wasn't. It says cliff here. I, I don't know where they took them, if they had a, a sinkhole at the time, if it was just on the edge of a hill that they were going to throw them down and then stone them. I don't know. Um, it, it really doesn't matter. It, the, 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 that's not the issue. The issue is their anger, their unhappiness their rage at being told that they didn't have enough faith. And that was frustrating to them. But Jesus, but it was not time for Jesus to die. That was not the time frame. And so Jesus passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, did the people come to their senses? Did Jesus shout some sort of word at them? Or was it the angelic secret service came through like our secret service and goes through the crowd and, and pushes everybody back and makes a corridor for the, for, for, you know, the earthly secret service makes, pushes the crowd back. And so the president can walk through without harm and without being mobbed. Was there an angelic secret service there that created a corridor and pushed everybody back so Jesus could walk through? I don't know. I like to think there was. And so Jesus left. He left the synagogue. He left Nazareth. In verse 31, the lesson plan ends at verse 30. Verse 31 says, Then he went down to Capernaum, the place he just mentioned that they were complaining about, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. So he left Nazareth, and on the very next Sabbath, he was teaching in a synagogue again in a neighboring town. And as you read through there, you see that Jesus performed a miracle at that synagogue. There was a man who had a demon in him, and Jesus healed him of that demon, cast that demon out. And then go all the way down to the last verse of this chapter, verse 44. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. 
So he continued to go around and preach in synagogues, even after this bad experience. He didn't stop. Now, that doesn't, at this point, it doesn't say what he did during the week, but he was still teaching. We know from the rest of the New Testament, and as we continue on, he was still teaching during the week. He was healing during the week. But on the, on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue to worship God, his Father, and to teach others about God. He didn't stop doing that. Now, why didn't the people of Nazareth believe him? Think about all the messengers that came to proclaim who Jesus was from before he was born. We have the angel Gabriel coming to Zechariah and coming to Mary, the angel that spoke to Joseph in dreams multiple times. The angelic group, the, the, the huge group that came to the shepherds. When, when they dedicated Jesus in the temple, there was the man Simeon and Anna in the temple praising God for Jesus. We had the Magi showing up a year or two later worshiping Jesus. Then we had John the Baptist preaching about the coming of the Messiah in the wilderness. And then at Jesus' baptism, God the Father himself spoke, and the Holy Spirit came down and anointed Jesus. You go, why didn't any of these people believe any of this? Well, except for the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and the angel speaking to Joseph in a dream, none of that happened in Nazareth. The people in Nazareth saw none of it. Gabriel came to Mary when Mary was by herself. The angel came, spoke to Joseph in a dream. Obviously, no one else could hear it. And so the people in Nazareth never saw any of these great miracles. But even if they did, would that would they have worshipped Jesus anyways? And I'd say probably not. That would not have happened. But who did Jesus come to help? It says the year of the Lord's favor. It came for the poor, for those who are captive, however they're captive, for the blind, for the oppressed, who was oppressed? The people in power oppressed people who aren't in power. And sometimes that's on racial terms. This, the, the widow in Sidon, Naaman, the Syrian office, military officer. Jesus, these are examples, and just in this scripture, who Jesus came for favor. And the people of Nazareth didn't like it. Now, does that mean there was no blind people in Nazareth? I don't know. Remember, they didn't have glasses. I mean, if, if it wasn't for the miracle of these glasses, I'd be darn near blind. I could everything is big, be a big fuzzy blob. You know, how many people would be blind without modern um, surgeries and medicine and glasses and contacts? Um. How many of us would be in a poorhouse? You know, there was no declaring bankruptcy. There was no taking out a loan. 
most of the time. Um, you, you'd be a captive because of, of, of inability to pay your bills. Some of the Jews were oppressed. Why? Because they were Jews, because the Romans were in charge. That in a form of racism. And so all this was happening. But yet, even some of the people who were oppressed, some of the poor, they still rejected Jesus. Those rejecting Jesus did not, those rejecting Jesus did not negate who Jesus is. Just because they rejected him does not negate who Jesus is. Just because you reject him, just because somebody you know rejects him, that does not negate who Jesus is. God is bigger than our opinions. Jesus fit the scriptures. Jesus did not fit people's beliefs on what the about the Messiah. You ever hear somebody say, well, to me, Jesus is, and then they spout off some nonsense. To me, God is, well, me and God have had a conversation or two, and he, we have an understanding. No, there is scripture. And the scripture tells us our understanding of who God is, our understanding of who Jesus Christ is, Jesus the Messiah. That's where we get our understanding. We don't get it from our own imagination. We don't get it from just what we think or what we've experienced because we have not experienced everything that God is. We have not experienced all of the blessings of God. So don't go by just that. Go by what is in Scripture. That's who God is. That is who Jesus is. And he has come to proclaim the good news, the gospel to us. It began with John the Baptist, and Jesus continued it and amplified it. And that's what this is about. And so that's what this lesson's about. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all the blessings you give us, for all the things that you have told us in Scripture. Help us to take it by faith and to live every day because of that faith. You are the mighty God, and we just pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, I thank you for watching and listening. Once again, I'm Pastor Nelson Nisley at Tower View Baptist Church. I'm associate pastor here in Kansas City, Missouri. I pray that you come out today. We have a church at 1030. It'll be drive-in church. So come in, uh, turn your radios to 90.7 FM, and you can listen to the service. Everything will be inside today because of it's cold outside. Um, check out our website, towerviewkc.com, our Facebook page, and leave us a message. You got a question, you got a prayer request, you got a need. Let us know what they are. And we can pray for them, help you if we can. We have some resources, we don't have a lot, but if we can, we will. And so I thank you for watching. I thank you for listening today. I pray that this feed has went through well today. I, I, I know from my computer that it may or may not have, in which case, if it hasn't, I will upload um, this later. But I thank you for all watching and listening today. And uh, 
I pray God's blessings on you all. Go out and go with God.